We are in 2 John together this morning, so if you would please open your Bible to 2 John. Uh, if you don't know where 2 John is, uh, just turn all the, all the way to the very back of your Bible, you'll find Revelation, and then just turn a little bit to the left, you'll find it. 2 John. Now, we have, as a church, gone all the way through 1 John together. And as I said last week, that, that took us about 20 weeks to do so. So we were in 1 John about 20 weeks, and uh, it looks like 2 John's not going to take us that long, right? 2 John and 3 John are the smallest uh, New Testament letters, and uh, we're going to be looking at those kind of back to back. But as we begin our time, we're looking at the first three verses of 2 John together, all right? So let's just begin by, by looking at that. All right, so this is 2 John, verses 1 through 3. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. All right, well, as we do each time we begin a new book of the Bible together, which this is, we need to look at some historical context, right? And so it, it, uh, it kind of begins where the author is introduced and also the audience is introduced, doesn't it? So let's look at that. So this is Second John beginning, uh, first part of the, of the first verse, and it says, the elder to the elect lady and her children. And so that kind of clears everything up for us. This is the elder to the elect lady and her children. So there we go. That's, that's the author and its recipients. So we, what, what do we know about this letter? Well, a few things. We know the author. We know a generalized idea of the date, what type of genre this is, and we also know the audience. And so uh, we'll look at that. So the author is who? John the Apostle. Uh, this is the historical understanding given some context. Uh, people would like to debate about that, and you can if you'd like. Uh, I do not debate about it. I understand it as John the Apostle. And uh, if you look at this also, uh, some people would say, oh, this was a cover letter to 1 John. Some people would argue that. Um, it, it seems to stand alone, and uh, the tradition is that the letter does stand alone, and so that's how we're taking it for our purposes. The date written would have been the last part of John's life, just like 1 John. And so about 85 to 95, same, same general time. Uh, it is also a general epistle, and we're going to cover that part in just a second. But then also the audience is going to be the same audience as 1 John. So what do we know about that? Where the problems and the context of the churches in Asia Minor are going to carry on to our study of 2 John together, correct? So we're going to see some themes repeated and some warnings and some insights that we're going to say, I know what he's talking about. In some regard, we're going to see some summary statements of 1 John, so that's true. So the context remains. Now, when we look at this, the elder to the elect lady and her children. Now, the elder kind of has, has, has two, two meanings to it, doesn't it? When we say the elder, he's uh, identifying himself, um, I think, really in two ways. People want to say it's, you know, it has to do with his age. He's an old man. Was John an old man at this point? Yeah, he was an old man at this point. He is the apostle to live the longest of all of them and to die a natural death. The only apostle to die a natural death so far as we know, according to tradition. And so John is an old man, and so he could just say, uh, 
the old man. The old man writing to the elect lady and her children. Uh, you could take it that way, and that's okay. I think that's also true. Uh, another way, though, is elder, and we understand that in a, a spiritual position within the church, right? Is that he has a spiritual authority over the church, and I think elder is a way for him to indicate that. So the elder... Uh, we know who he's talking about. He's the old man. Which old man? The old man who is the apostle, the only one left alive. That old man. Oh, that carries some weight, doesn't it? So the elder. The elder writing to who? Well, to the elect lady and her, her children. Well, who is that? Who is the elect lady and her children? Well, again, you, you could write a dissertation on it, I think. I mean, I think there's enough material there. But the issue, uh, I think, is resolved for me because the principles still apply. The elect lady, some... It's, it's the same Greek word for elect, eklektos. So uh, it's, it's, some people think that it's a woman's name, eklekta. Okay, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, some people say that. It, well, it's written to eklekta and her children. Uh, literally a woman and her children. I, I, I don't understand it that way. Um, uh, another another uh, interpretation, the elect lady is just a woman in high, high position somewhere um, who has literal children. And so... Um, I don't, again, I don't take it that way. I take it the same way as the elder is taken, um, which, which has some insight into it. Um, but I think it's also the same way that Peter was referencing the church. This is 1 Peter 5.13. Listen to how he identifies the church. 1 Peter 5.13, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark. So he refers to the church in the feminine, right? She who is in Babylon, that's figurative also, that's speaking to the church in Rome. And so Peter was saying, listen, we're a church in Rome, and she, the church, who is in Rome, uh, sends you greetings, who is likewise chosen, right? So they're the elect church, right? So we get how these are, are very similar, right? And her children, Second John 13, if you just go to verse 13 of, of, of uh, it's the very last verse in Second John, it says, the children of your elect sister greet you. So unless it's a literal individual woman who happened to have a woman, uh, a sister also who believed and also had children who wanted to greet her, uh, be hard to take this literally, right? Uh, so we take this as a figurative representation of the church. So this is John um, writing from one church to another. So he is in a localized congregation somewhere in Asia Minor, and he is writing to another localized congregation somewhere in Asia Minor. So that's why he says to the elect lady, who is the church, from the old man, right? From the elder. And you know who this is. And so um, there's two churches involved here. And this is kind of where we're already going to get into some principles that, that, that we retain uh, for our purposes because there's a historical context here, yes, that, okay, that's good, but how does that affect me in any way? Uh, but there's, there's a principle shining through here that I, I would really like to draw our attention to, is that there's a distinction here between the church in, in two capacities. And the distinction is between the universal church, which is composed of all true believers, and then a distinction between local churches, which are individual manifestations of the universal church. So when we say universal church, that means all people everywhere who are true believers in Jesus Christ. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, truly, you are a truly regenerate believer, born again, then you belong to, you have membership in the universal church. 
Okay, so that's universal. It's, it's everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter at what time you exist even. If you have faith in Christ, you belong to this church, to the universal church, to God's church. Okay, but there's another aspect, isn't there? The other aspect of the church are localized communities. What do we call a localized community? We call it a local church. And so this is the local church. And in this regard, we have two different churches. We have the church where John is, and then we have the church that he's writing to. So do you already see two churches? John will address seven churches in the first couple chapters of Revelation, right? So we have the church as a whole who is likewise chosen, right? That there's, there's commonality there. Um, we are likewise chosen so as another church that existed in, the, in another part of the planet uh, 500 years ago. Likewise, we're all the same. It's the same. There's an equal field there, right? So we're, we're all part of the universal church. But we have localized manifestations, churches that have particular qualities, particular elders over them. So what we have are members of the universal church that find community and accountability within a membership at a localized community. I want to give you um, a little bit of insight into this, just one verse from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay, the reason I read that verse is because it identifies something that I want you to just follow. Follow with me what is being said here. Because something is being said. You see, in Scripture, we have two kinds of truths given to us. We have those explicit things that are kind of directly uh, pointed at the audience. Do this, don't do this. It's very clear, it's explicit. But then there are also those truths that are implicit, that things that are implied. Okay, you follow me on that? And so when we see an implied truth, we can just as, as faithfully pull out those implied truths as we do explicit truths. And what we see here is, a, is an implied truth. And what's being said is there are particular leaders over localized congregations who have leadership over that congregation, but not over this one. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. So, for example, um, there are many churches who are meeting this morning, right? Many, many believers who are meeting all over the planet. And do I, as an elder of a church, am I keeping watch over their soul? I don't even know who they are. That's a, man, that would be a hard job. Please don't give me that job. I don't want that job. Uh, you know, uh, it's impossible, right? So what was God's plan then? to have individual local manifestations of the church with leaders over it and members, ser uh, members serving in that church underneath those elders. Okay, you follow that? So what does it say to obey your leaders and submit to them? Why? Because they're keeping watch over your soul. Well, whose soul am I keeping watch over? Just anybody who walks through the door? Anybody who watches online? The online community, you know, that again, I don't want that job. That, I, how do you do that job? So then, how do you recognize, listen to me when I make this conclusion here, 
If you have followed me logically so far, listen to my conclusion. What that means is you need to have formal recognition within membership of a local church so as to identify with that congregation and not another. Do you follow me on that? I say that to about half a room that's not a member of this church. So I get how you might take that. This is how scripture indicates we are to behave in localized communities. Do you belong to this community? Do you believe like this community? Do we have care over your soul? Do you, are, are, is the accountability mutual? Have you entered into an accountability structure with us? Yes or no? And so there are leaders who should be over you, whereas another leader is not over you. So when you watch, for example, you know, uh, Grace Community Church, and John MacArthur's there preaching, and you're saying amen, or whatever you're doing, and you're, you know, John MacArthur is not keeping watch over your soul. It's not his job. But I am. So you've not identified there. People who are simply attending church are floating around kind of like a stray dog. Just follow me with that, okay? Because who, who, who's, whose care are you in? That's what I mean by that. Who has, who has care over you? I don't know. I'll stay here for a little while, and then when I don't like it anymore, I'll wander over here and dig through whatever I can, and once I'm not satisfied there, I'll wander over here, and th that's what I mean by stray, right? Now, that's different from a dog that has ownership, and they say, that's my dog. I have care over that, right? Is that a weird analogy? Yeah, okay, well... It's weird, but just go with it, okay? There's, there's truth value to it, all right? It's because one has clear I identification, the other does not. I wonder for you this morning, if you were to receive a letter, uh, and you, well, maybe you opened a Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders. Uh, who are my leaders? I don't know. I don't have any. That should leave you wondering what this means for you. So a type of formal recognition into church membership identifies you with that particular body of believers for your good and for the good of the church. I want to encourage you in that. Church membership is not for those who have arrived. Okay? If church membership were those for, for only for those who have arrived, how many of us would be members of this church? Are you nervous to answer? Nobody. Nobody's arrived. No one has reached the pinnacle of faith and righteousness. Otherwise, we wouldn't need a savior. Church membership is part of your sanctification. Being identified with a local body is part of your sanctification. God has a plan for you. Do you see it? God has a plan for you. Some people don't like the commitment. Well, you can take that up with the scriptures. There's a lot of commitment to be had in the scriptures. Right? There's commitment. Our culture is a culture of commitment or a culture of I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Which, which one? Which one? <laughs> yeah. We live in a culture that says I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it and you can't tell me otherwise. So why would I ever come and submit to anyone who tells me things that I don't want to hear? I'll just do whatever I want to do. That's our culture. Right? That is not according to the truth. So what does he have to say about the truth? Now, oh, the truth is a good question. 
So when he's writing, he is writing both to the church universal, the church at all times, all those who have faith in Christ. Yes. So he's writing to us. The Holy Spirit is communicating to us through John's letter. Yes, this morning, the Lord is speaking to us. And what does he have to say? He had something to say to then. He had something to say to the church 500 years ago. He has something to say to the church today. What is the, church, what, what is the Lord saying to this church? A recognition, first of all, that there is a universal church that exists. But then also a recognition that there are local manifestations that we are to operate faithfully within that, within a membership and identification with the Lord's church locally. Now he starts to talk about his relationship with this group. Look at the second half of verse 1. It says, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all who know the truth. Okay, so that's pretty good. So this is written to local churches spread all throughout Asia Minor, and he's saying, I love you in the truth, and not only I, but all who know the truth love you. All who know that all who know the truth love you. What about this? All who know the truth know you. Would even that part be true? You follow me? All these churches in Asia Minor, and he's saying all people who know the truth know who you are by name. True or false? False. So how can they love them if they don't even know who they are? All who know the truth love you, and so do I. How can he know that? That's a good question, because it's a principle that no matter where the people of truth are, they love the people of God. Whether I know you or not, a child of God, I love you. It doesn't matter if, if, I, if I have a personal relationship with you or not. Child of God, I love you. That's a blanket statement. You're child of God, I love you. And so he can write these words with certainty, can he? Wherever the people of God are, wherever the people of truth are, I know this for sure, that I love you and so do they. In other words, you could summarize that by saying, all believers love all believers. That's the truth. If you're a believer and you don't love believers, what does John say about that? You lie, and the truth is not in you. You lie. No, I'm a believer, I promise. I just, I don't like people. You lie. That's according to the, to, to lie is not according to the truth. So if you truly are a child of God, then you are of the truth. You are in the truth. And if you are of the truth and in the truth, then you will live according to the truth. You will walk in the truth. And what is the truth? That you will love God's children. So all believers do, definitely, as a matter of fact, love all other believers. So John wanted to make sure, not only that this truth was communicated to them, but also what? He wanted the church to feel loved. Otherwise, why would he say it? I love you. And, and not only me, but all who know the truth love you. I love you in truth. I, I do. I love you. You know, I remember the first time someone said, I love you to me. Uh, it was, well, we can talk about my childhood another time, but it was not someone from my family, and uh, so it was, it was, uh, it, it, it hit, it hit hard, and I didn't know what to do with it. I, 
I didn't know what, you know, for some people, you, you know, if you hear that so much, you hear it your whole life, what, it, you know, you're used to it, you know. But I remember it was a, a youth pastor said that to me. It was a guy, first of all, and I thought, that's a little weird. He said, I love you. And he gave me a hug. I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't say anything, but I remember that I cried. That means something, doesn't it? When someone says, I love you. John is saying it to this entire church. And do you think he meant it? Do you think he meant it? I think he did. I think he knew exactly what he was saying, and I think he genuinely, from his heart, in all truth, said, I love you, and he meant every word of it. He meant it to its core. I love you. But you know what he said? He said, guess what? I'm not the only one that loves you. All who are according to the truth love you. Wow, that's a lot of love. I don't know if I can handle that much love. That many people love me and all of us? Do you know this morning that no matter where you came from, no matter what your childhood is, no matter what your current relationship is with your spouse or your children or whatever it is, do you know that you are loved by the people of God? Do you know that you are loved by God himself? Do you know that there is more love for you than you could ever even imagine? You are loved, and that is a real love. You are loved. All the children of God love all the children of God. Now, a question becomes, what kind of love should we have for one another? Are there different kinds of love? Well, so sure, I, I hope you acknowledge that there are different kinds of love, right? Now, what kind of love should we be having for one another? What kind of love was John communicating to the church? What kind of love was he saying that all believers have for all other believers? What kind of love is that? What does that look like? What should it look like for me to love all the people sitting next to me this morning and the church universal? Just to give a little bit of insight to that, I'd like to read for you uh, some of Paul's words out of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.29. Listen to what it says. This is, this is how we're to love one another. Just listen. It, it's all very practical. It's very, very just straightforward. Listen to what it says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That word for corrupt, corrupt, it's like, uh, like rotten. Let nothing rotten or harmful come out of your, your mouth. Step one, we could take that and say, I got enough to work with already. You know, just give me that one point and we'll go from there. There's a lot more. That's, that's just where we begin. That's one way you can be loving one another is not to say anything harmful or rotten or corrupting. But instead, only such as for building up as fits the occasion. So what should be your, your manner of speaking to one another? That in everything I say, I'm seeking to build you up and not tear you down. Is that the way you speak to other believers? Uh, I am only seeking to, to build you up as fits the occasion because we understand that occasions are different, right? It looks different at different times, but it says that it may give grace to those who hear. So is the way that you talk to others gracious? Gracious. 
how does it feel when someone approaches you and, and they say, oh, I need to talk to you about something? And you say, oh, great. And they say, I know what this is all about. You start wondering maybe, what, is, what does this have to do with? We need to have a conversation. And then guess what? All they wanted to do was encourage you and build you up, and they just wanted to say something positive. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Loved? Cared for? You actually care about me, that you went out of your way to say something encouraging to me. You built me up, and it was full of grace, because you know what? I said something mean to you yesterday, and we left it at that. And then you came to me and I thought you were going to say, how dare you talk to me like that? But you didn't say that. You didn't say that. You gave me grace. You gave me something I didn't deserve. What did you say to me? You said to me only something that built me up. I didn't deserve that. I deserve for you to rip me to pieces with your words. But you didn't do it. You gave me grace. You built me up. That's how we should talk to one another. Does that sound good? Is that how you want to be talked to by other people with grace? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So when we don't speak to one another in such a way, you're grieving the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives us what? Grace. And so when this Holy Spirit who lives in us is giving you grace, but you're not giving grace out, that grieves the Holy Spirit within you. You're not acting as you should. So let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, which means shouting, and slander be put away from you along with all malice, which means ill will towards another person. And here's what we should do. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving. Tell me, is this how you love other people? Because this is love according to the truth. To the elect lady and her children, whom I love, how? Whom I love in truth. Not something I made up. I'm not loving you a way I want to love you. I'm not loving you according to my emotions. I'm loving you according to the truth. And the truth tells me this, that I'm going to be gracious with you. I'm going to be tenderhearted with you. I'm going to be forgiving with you. I'm going to be kind to you. Because that's what the truth says. Do you see it? That's what the truth says. That's how I should be with you. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So there's the love. You see it? See how he was actually been defining love this whole time? He was actually detailing out for us what love looked like. That's how love looks. That's how love looks in our relationships with one another. So, just pause before we continue on in, in, in Second John here and making some other uh, comments. If you evaluate yourself truly, truly, I can't do it for you, but if you evaluate yourself, just think for a moment. Is this how you communicate with other believers who you are to love? You don't get to love them however you want. You love according to the truth, which we're going to get to in just a second, but is this what you loving other believers looks like? That you're kind and tenderhearted and forgiving and gracious, and although you deserve one thing, I'm not going to give that to you because I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to have mercy on you. 
when you speak or interact with someone, what's your goal? Is your goal to harm them with your words, to give vent to your spirit, to make yourself feel better, to make yourself look better? Because everybody in the room knows what I mean. Because we've all done those things. I just got to, what? I just got to tell you this. You're driving me crazy, and I just, I just need to tell you. That was throwing up on the person, right? I mean, that's, if you didn't know what that sound was, that's, you're just, you're giving them everything. Giving vent to your spirit, which the Proverbs say is not wise. Because that's according to your emotion, your feeling, but it was that kind? Was it tender-hearted? Was it gracious? Was it merciful? Right? Do you think before you interact? We have this piece of paper that's laminated, laminated on our refrigerator. Laminated. You know what that means. And it says, think. Before you speak, think. Because it's important that we think before we speak. We should have a filter on our communication with one another. Why? Because we love one another. Why? Because Christ loved us. So are you harsh in your words with other people? Stop. You mean to other people? You need to stop. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Be more kind with your words. Tenderhearted. Tenderhearted. I'm not a tenderhearted kind of person. Well, you should be. Because that's how God treats you. So you need to change. For some, this means putting intentional effort into changing the way you speak. That could be you. That's probably a good blanket statement for all of us. For others, this may mean putting effort to speaking to others in the first place. Because for some of us, listen, no, I don't ever do that because I don't ever talk to anybody. So I'm good. You know, if I just don't say anything, I can't say anything mean, right? Is, is that loving? To just say nothing at all? To not have communication with one another? To not know one another? But if you truly cared for one another, we would be coming to understand who each other is, right? Learning about each other. So I just want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage you in your communication with one another that it should be according to Christ. Imagine if your God spoke to you the way that you speak to other people. That would be hard, wouldn't it? Could you withstand that? And walk in love. All believers have love for all believers. And when should you be careful to give grace to others? When should you be merciful to others? When should you be kind and tenderhearted? Well, always. But why and how? Well, that's what he answers for us in verse 2. Let's look at it. The why and how. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. That's the why and how. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. How long will this truth be with us? How long do we have to put all this effort into being tender-hearted and kind? Forever. Forever. Because that truth remains in us forever. Yeah, the work is never done. At least in this life. God brings all things into fruition, into completion, into consummation, glorification one day. That day we're looking forward to, aren't we? But in this life, 
the work is never done. You can always be more gracious than you are. You can always be more tender-hearted with other believers than you are. You can always season your speech better. The work is never done. Can we all agree on that? The work is never done. I just, I, I want to emphasize that because don't we pretty regularly act as though the work is done? Isn't that true? Okay, so what does in truth mean? And uh, could it mean, I just, I truly love you? Um, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, uh, what is this truth? Well, because of the truth, there is a real objectivity to our love. And I have uh, alluded to this, if not said it already, but believers do not get to define what love looks like. Do you know that? You don't, you don't get to decide what love looks like. That, that's a really good idea, though, isn't it? I say, okay, listen, uh, everybody write down your own definition of love. And that's the way you can love other people, and that's the way you can choose to be loved yourself. However, truth, or love, is according to the truth, which means love is something objective, something there, something that actually exists that we need to find. And we need to love according to that truth and not according to something else. If we ask everybody in this world to find love, is everyone going to define it the same way? Are there some people who are going to define it so poorly that you would not even be able to utter those words? I think that's possible. Because they're defining love in such a way that is not according to the truth. We don't get to decide what love looks like. There is a truth value to love. And in fact, I, I thought of these two questions, and I think it helps us wrestle with this idea. What is truth without love, and what is love without truth? Just think about that. What is truth without love, and what is love without truth? I wonder if you could tell me. What is truth without love? Well, I'm just telling you the hard truth. But you didn't have to be mean. Is that true? That actually is true, isn't it? I was just telling you how it is. Was that tender-hearted, though? Was it kind? Was it gracious? Then you're the one that's wrong. Do you see how these work together? There's a reciprocal relationship between truth and love that's being drawn out here by John. So look at this on the screen with me. So love uh, feeds truth. That is, we are to be loving in a way that is truthful. So you could even say that truth feeds love, if you want to look at it that way. We are to be loving in a way that is truthful. What does that mean? We are to be compelled, and we are compelled to be truthful. Why? Because we love. If you love someone, do you want to tell them the truth, and it actually hurts you to not tell them the truth, because I love you? Right? Right? And this type of compassion, as Jim was reiterating to us yesterday, this type of compassion for people drives us to want to share the truth with them. Why? Because we love them. We actually care for lost souls. And that type of compassion wants, uh, drives in us the desire to share the truth with them, right? But is that true in all of our relationships? In 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4 through 7, it says, Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. 
It's not arrogant or rude. It, love is not arrogant. You say, listen, that's just the way it is. And I know that I'm right. Uh, that's being arrogant and rude. And that is not loving according to the truth. It does not insist on its own way. These are so good, aren't they? I mean, like every one of them just sticks like a knife in your heart, doesn't it? Every one of them is like, oh, there's more. It's not irritable or resentful. Oh, there's more. Because we know what it is to be irritable and resentful, don't we? It's not loving. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but instead it rejoices with what? You know it. The truth. Because to love is according to the truth. The truth. Where do we find that truth? In Scripture. Because it's something objective, something to be found. It is there. It's not up to us to define it. Do you see what I mean? We don't get to define it. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But there's a reciprocal relationship, like I said. So um, it, it goes the other way as well, that we are to be truthful in a way that is loving. So we are to be loving in a way that is truthful, that's true, but then also we are to be truthful in a way that is loving. Okay, so here's what I mean by that, that we are compelled to love because we know the truth. You see that too? We are compelled to love because we know the truth. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16 tells us, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried out by every wind of doctrine and human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we speak the truth in love. And we grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body is joined together and every joint with which it is equipped. And it, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in what? What's the last word? Love. The body builds itself up in love. And it speaks the truth how? In love. And what does love look like? Love is gracious and merciful and tender-hearted. This is hard stuff, isn't it? This is, this is not easy. If this is just coming in and it's like, whew, glad there was an easy, you know, easy sermon today. If it's settling with you like that, I don't know if you're hearing me. I don't know if you're hearing what the word is saying. Is that we are to love according to the truth, whom I love in truth. This truth will be with us forever. It doesn't end. It's forever. It's a truth that's in us because we were born of the truth. We are of the truth. We are in the truth. We are in him who is true. We are led by the spirit of truth. There couldn't be more truth added here. Everything about the truth is there and it's in us. But are we living and loving according to it or according to something else? Because we don't get to define what love looks like. Love is according to the truth. Now, if you say, I'm just being truthful, I'm just being honest with you, and yet you're doing it in a way that is not tender-hearted, kind, merciful, then you are wrong. Because you shouldn't act like that. I want to reiterate that because I want to be very clear what the word is telling us. There is never an excuse for any of us, for any of us, to be rude and arrogant, prideful, demeaning, unkind, unmerciful. There's never a situation that arises where we can say it's okay to be like that. So be careful with your words. 
Because you do love God's children after all, don't you? If you are a child of God, you love God's children. We already talked about that. So you do love God's children, so let's be careful with how we speak to them. Let's look at this last little bit. And he says in verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Oh, there's more that's going to be with us. It's not just this truth that abides in us and, and continues on forever. There's more. There's grace and mercy and peace that will be with us. And where do we get that from? From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. And how is that in truth and love? Truth and love, truth and love. Truth and love seems to be on repeat here. Truth and love, truth and love, truth and love. That's because they work together. God loves you how? According to the truth. And it's yours. And what does that look like? It looks like grace, mercy, and peace. That's what it looks like. Now, is that what it looks like from you to other people? Grace, mercy, and peace. So, as we're kind of wrapping things up, let's just give a definition to these three words here. Grace. You know what grace is. Something you don't deserve, right? Undeserved favor. That's what grace is. Undeserved favor. Are you a gracious person? Have you been shown grace? Oh, so you know what grace is. You just don't like to do it yourself. Have you been given unmerited favor? Yeah, that came from God in Jesus Christ. You didn't earn it. It's not yours. You have no right to it. But he gave it to you anyway. As a gracious act of God. By grace, you are saved through faith. Grace. God gave you grace. Now, you should act uh, the same way, giving other people grace. Do you give people grace? Well, they got to learn a lesson here. I'm just, I'm just God's instrument here, okay? I'm just helping them learn a hard lesson. Uh, is that gracious to them? Well, you know what? There's a fine line between being an enabler to sin and being a gracious instrument of God, isn't there? Can we recognize that? So we have to walk that balance sometimes, don't we? We have to love according to the truth and enabling someone to stay in sin. Is that loving them according to the truth? No, it's not, is it? Holding them accountable in love in a tender-hearted, gracious way. Now, is that according to the truth? Oh, you better believe it. In fact, if I don't hold people accountable to their sin, that's unloving isn't it? Because I don't want you to have sin in you. Neither does God. And I love you the way that God loves you. Uh, at least I should try. Right? So that's grace. What is mercy? Undeserved forgiveness. You deserve something, but I'm not going to give you that thing that you deserve. Right? It's like I did something bad and you could do this, but you're not going to do it. That's mercy. Tell me. How often do you practice mercy in your relationships with other people? They don't deserve that. They messed it up. They had their chance and they're done. Cut off. Well, that's one way you can handle it. But the other way you can handle it is mercy. Don't you like when God gives you mercy? You know, like the very breath that you're breathing right now. Do you deserve it? Are you entitled to the breath that you have? Are you entitled to the life that you're living right now? According to God's righteous standards, you are not. And yet by his mercy, he is giving you something that you don't deserve. In fact, he's not giving you what you do deserve, which is to be cut off immediately. Right? That mercy? But he's not giving that to you. Now, are you acting toward other people the way that God is acting toward you? 
not giving them something that they definitely deserve. Whew, I could give it to them. We all know those moments, don't we, by the way? It's like, oh, like, I want to, yeah, I really want to go after that right now. I really want to not like that person anymore. I really want to just cut the ties forever. I want to be done, and I want to let them know I'm done, and I want to let them know that I'm right before we cut the ties. Now, that's a common human approach to relationships when you're overwhelmed. But that is not loving according to the truth. Because loving according to the truth carries with it the ideas of grace and mercy. How are you at practicing grace and mercy? Now, the final result of this is peace. In other words, no conflict. No conflict. What kind of peace do we have? We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You see, before there was conflict. Why? Because there was something that you did that God did not have mercy on, that God was not having grace upon. What did you do? You were born into sin. And, it, and until you came to faith in Christ and had that resolved, there was conflict between you and God, unresolved conflict. But you know, everybody has that conflict resolved one day, and it's either now by faith in Christ or it's later through God's wrath. And that's what the scriptures tell us. So, Peace is resolved conflict. We have had conflict resolved between us and God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled to God. We've had our sins forgiven. And so I'll end with this statement here, that we have been shown what? Grace and mercy and peace from God in Jesus Christ. And these will be with us forever. Let's hang on to that, right? Those will be with us forever. And then, in response, as we have been shown unending and unconditional love from God in Jesus Christ, so we should be showing this kind of love to others. You see how simple that is? And yet, how incredibly profound and deep and difficult that is. It's very easy, but it's, it's at the same time incredibly difficult. And so I had two passages here that I was going to, um, to use to kind of reinforce this point. And uh, I suppose I'm, I'm going to pick one of them as I've been uncharacteristically long-winded this morning. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 13. Let's use that one, okay? So the other one I want you to write down for your reference at home because it just, oh, it works so well, is 2 Peter 1, 1 through 12, okay? So that's your homework uh, for after today, when you're at home or maybe sometime this week, please go back and read 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 12, okay? To reinforce these ideas. James 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But, listen to this, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So do you see that right there? How you can be false according to the truth? Because your, your character, the way you're handling yourself, is actually proving that you're not wise and you're not living according to the truth. Well, out of your mouth, you're saying, I live according to the truth. I live according to God's standards. And while at the same time, you're arrogant and rude and mean and not gracious. 
and merciful. And so you're a walking contradiction. And it should not be this way. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but this is what is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. For where there are jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Disorder, conflict, no peace. Do you hear that? No peace. Are you a peacemaker, by the way? We should be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Are you seeking for peace? Peace in relationships? Are you the one that actually causes the friction in the relationships? Yeah, you're one or the other. You're, you're, you're either, either attempting to resolve or, or if you never do that, then you might be that one who's actually creating the conflict. But the wisdom that comes from above, listen to this. Listen to how wisdom truly operates. This is how wisdom should be in your behavior. It is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? And this is how we ought to be handling ourselves according to the truth, according to loving in the truth, that truth that will remain with us forever. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peacemakers. Okay, so in summary, what is John saying to us? He's saying he loves them in truth and that you likewise should be loving one another according to the truth. Why? Because you have been loved according to the truth and that truth remains in you. So now show it to be the case. Show one another that you are loving according to the truth. Show one another that you have been loved by God. Show one another that you have been given grace and mercy and peace. Let's pray.